Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 8. And the last time we saw that Samuel led the children of Israel into a national revival. Very exciting. I kind of gave my idea of what the battle might have looked like. The Philistines were uh, so close uh, that they were like, Samuel, help us out here. They're like on top of us. And of course, the Lord rerouted the Philistines and gave the children of Israel the victory. Today, we're going to see the children of Israel demand a king instead of God to lead them. I, I'm really loving the historical books. I'm so excited. It's probably going to take us years to go through all the Samuels, the Kings, and the Chronicles. Uh, but it's just a lot of fun to get back into these historical books and just see the development of God's people and the ups and downs that they went through and draw parallels to our own lives and even the church of today. So we're going to start with verse 1. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in, in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes, and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. I just love the frankness of the translations. <laughs> Look, you're old. <laughs> and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make for us a king to judge us like all the nations. So it's very sad. Samuel, from being a little boy, just loved the Lord. And, you know, you can see the Lord had his hand on him throughout his whole life. But sadly enough, Samuel's sons don't follow in his footsteps. They don't have the same love for the Lord as their dad. Certainly, I'm sure Eli knew, or Eli was another one, and so was Aaron. If you look at some of these, uh, these leaders in Israel, that their sons, you know, very incredible parallels here. Eli's two sons, Aaron's two sons, and uh, now Samuel's two sons. And we really need to love our children enough to, and, and I'm not, look, you could do everything right and a child can still go the wrong direction. I mean, I've seen wonderful Christian families where the kid just goes in the wrong way. Their heart's just not for the Lord. But we still, as parents, have to be diligent. We have to discipline our children. Um, and that's important to do before it's too late. And again, uh, we, we saw it with Eli. No doubt he knew what was going on with his sons. And now we're seeing with Samuel. Look, word gets around. And bad news travels like 10 times faster than good news. So I have no doubt in my mind that Samuel at least had an inkling of what was going on with his sons. Um, and you can speculate, could he, could he have removed them? Could he have prayed to the Lord about what to do? You know, I'm sure there was a few options there. The second thing that we can see, I mean, we look at discipline, but we also see that uh, not to neglect our children. Sometimes, maybe in an affluent society like ours, we may be tempted to, uh, and I see this with families, the, 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 the mother and father work, 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 work all this overtime and don't pay that much attention to the kids, but give them stuff. Well, they, they need a pool, and they need the newest Xbox, and they need all this stuff, but then the kids get neglected. So it is important that we don't neglect our kids. Some have speculated that uh, with the whole circuit that he was on, that maybe his sons got neglected a little bit. I was actually encouraged, and I'm, from the pulpit, I, I have been critical of certain leaders when I feel that things that they say are definitely going against God's word, or they're getting soft as time goes on. But I was encouraged by two interviews. It was broken up into two segments that Billy Graham had with Greta Van Susteren. This was recently. 
And they asked her, she was, he was asked what he would do differently. And Billy Graham's response was, I would pray more. I would read the Bible more. And I would have gone less away all over the world. He said he would have done that less. And I think that we, we need to look at the guy or the woman of God who is so far along in their years, and they're saying to us, this is what I wouldn't have done. This is what I would have changed. You know, we're fools if we don't look at the gray-haired person and say, let's learn from their mistakes. I have a few men in this church who are in their 70s and, and higher that are ordained, and they feel comfortable just walking into my office uh, they've been in ministry for decades and saying, this is how, where I went wrong, and I just want to impart this to you. Well, number one, I'm glad they feel comfortable enough to do that with me, but I'm also smart enough. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm smart enough to listen to them. So we really need to look at, especially young ladies, look at the, the moms who have been moms for decades, look at the older women, look at the older women in ministry, and learn from them. It's just a smart thing to do. Um, every Christian leader needs to realize that no man is an island, and get others around him to help lift his arms and to help to train them to do the work of the ministry. Let's not neglect the younger generation as they're rising up. What are we teaching them? What are we teaching them by our example? Good things to look at. Uh, Verse 3, Eli's sons, they do three things. Number one, they turn to dishonest gain, they take bribes, and they pervert justice. This really strikes at the heart of God's character. Now, God's character, of course, is perfect and doesn't change. But we can see corruption in the world. We see it all the time. We see CEOs, you know, in handcuffs, and they're covering their heads with their jackets on the news, and they took millions of dollars, and this is a bribe, and and these things happen, and, you know, politicians. But it's infinitely worse when it happens in ministry. Wouldn't we agree with that? What does the outside world see? These guys were representing God. And what they did was a a, a grievous offense as a representation of God, because these are the things that God loves the most. He loves justice. He's a God of justice. Money doesn't mean anything to him. And and he's constantly telling us, Jesus, in ministry, to to forsake the love of the world, because the love of the Father is not in you. But these guys did that. And you know what's really sad? That today in the church, over the last maybe century or two, it's actually become a religion. To take money and to be wealthy and to have your own private planes and to stay at $4,000 a night hotels, that's, that's staggering to me. It's a part of a, a, a whole uh, series of Christianity where God wants you to be wealthy. So it's amazing how we can take in twisted things and make them suit ourselves. This was offensive to God. So now what we see here is that it looks like there's some time that elapsed. If you look at chapter 7 and chapter 8, well, it definitely looks like some years have passed. Uh, probably in chapter 7, Samuel was probably a, a young guy like me, and uh, there's nothing funny about that. <laughs> and in, this, in the chapter we're reading, he's probably in his 70s by now, or older. But in the interim, we see that a new generation of elders have, have risen up too, and they come to Samuel. And I'm going to talk about their request, because you should, as you read this, you should get a check in your spirit by how they take the situation, and all of a sudden now we want a king to lead over us. The, the two don't equate in this mathematical equation here. I'll talk a little bit about math tonight. But a new generation rose up, and they said to Samuel, this is what we want. And, you know, maybe when I first came to Christ and I was new in the Lord, uh, maybe I thought that 
the, the older ways of doing things, I could do it better. And we always think that we can do it better. But again, we need to look at the, the ones that have been in ministry for a while and learn from them and glean from them and not always think we have different and better answers. I see a newer generation, even of younger Calvary uh, kids who are just going after all kinds of weird doctrine because it's different. Different isn't always better. Verse 4, all the elders came together and said what they wanted. Now, they didn't ask Samuel to pray about the situation. They didn't say, we prayed and heard from the Lord. They just gave their demands. They didn't express their concerns or fears. What does God say about it? They just had their ideas of what they wanted. So let's look at this. Now, make for us a king. That's an interesting statement, and it's loaded. Let's look at some of the points here. Number one, what was the guarantee that this king... He's a man, a fallible man. What was the guarantee that this king wouldn't be evil? Some of these kings lived a long life, and they were kings from teenagers. And if you got a bad one, you were stuck with him for possibly a lifetime. You know, in the United States, we complain if we have a senator or a congressman or a president that we don't like. But they have, you know, this, especially for the president, he can only serve two terms. A king was there, could have been there for your whole life. So that's a big gamble to say, give us a king with absolute power. Two, what was the draw? Well, the nations had a king. Grass was greener on the other side. This was a tangible man that we could speak to and reason with. Be careful of that. And even today, you see believers become like the world. Believers start to crave what the world has. And some of those cravings get into the church. And some of the churches get run through worldly methods because believers are starting to look like, a, like the world. That's a problem. Three, there's a, a phrase, if you Google it, it's called, never waste a good crisis. Now, there's a few people recently who have said that. One is Rahm Emanuel. The other one's Hillary Clinton. And there's a few others. Sometimes a crisis is good in politics because what it can do is you, you play on the people's fears and concerns and you can cause a massive upheaval or change in public policy. And I see that these guys were, you know, maybe I'm reading into it, I could be guilty of it, but they use the good crisis to uh, turn this thing around and say, hey, why don't you just give us a king? I think it'll make it better. It didn't. That's, that's what we know that in foresight because we have the rest of the scripture written. Number four, I believe they already had this in their hearts and they were just waiting for an opportunity. Now, and, and again, it would be a shame if we didn't look at our own lives and ask the same question. What am I demanding from God? What is it about his word that I like, but, you know, I just, Lord, I want it this way. You know, for me, you know, it's a, it's a special situation. And we always do this. We deceive ourselves. It's a special circumstance, Lord. I, I really would like it to be this way for me. Sometimes God gives us over to that if we press hard enough. And it's to our own detriment. But regarding a king, God's word had prophesied a monarchy, but it was, its possibility was supposed to start with David. And as I'll read Hosea 13, 9 through 11, we'll see how God reflects on this. Hosea 13, starting with verse 9, it says, O Israel, you are destroyed, but your help is from me. I will be your king. Where is any other? That he may save you in all your cities. And your judges to whom you said, give me a king and princes. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. So you get the impression that 
see, I, the hyper-sovereignists, I think, get it wrong because if we really want to go our own way, the Lord will allow us. Yeah, it's just, it's, it's over and over again in Scripture, and you can see it here. He wasn't, God was not happy because he knew it would have been harmful to his people. But they pushed and pushed, and he said, okay, you can have a king. Imagine how history would have been different if it would have started with David. Think of all the strife that happened before that, where the kingdom was in chaos. I did a men's study once about Jonathan and David, and little did probably the whole population know that there was a major upheaval between Saul, David, running for his life, and Jonathan trying to hold everybody together. We, we see what a great man Jonathan actually turned out to be, but it was, you know, the whole monarchy was hanging over a precipice because of this madness. So once you really get into it, you see that it was a bad idea. But imagine how history would be different if God's people always obeyed God's will, right? How would our lives be different? What if the children of Israel took their rightful borders from the beginning? Would there be as much violence in the Middle East today? It might be a different story. Think about to the river Euphrates. That's, that's all, the, all the way into Iraq. So you start to see borders would have been way different today if the children of Israel took their rightful borders. Very interesting. And then... How would our lives be different today if we always were obedient to what God's will was for in our lives? And I'm sure we can all look back and see a point where we pushed the issue or we knew what was right to do and we knew what the word said, but we did it different and we suffered for it. It happens. But we don't live in regrets. There's always repentance. However, there are ramifications for not doing it the way God would have it for us. That's, that's a fact. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works with which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. And we'll see that in the next few verses. But Samuel is disturbed at what they say, and he goes to prayer with it. God's response is basically, don't feel bad. The problem is not necessarily with you. The problem is that they have is with me. Jesus said, I, I can't help but think of this, he says it again when he came, the servant is not greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they're going to do the same to you. If they reject your message, remember, I'm the one who gave you that message. So we see that. So God's messengers will be rejected because they're carrying God's messengers. And even in the church today, if you're doing everything the way you're supposed to do it, as the scripture would say, as best as humanly possible, the ones that will come against you will be the carnal Christians. They'll be your biggest headaches. They'll have the appearance of, of being in the church. They'll have a lot of appearance, but they'll come against you because you're trying to follow what the, what the word says. And we see that God is very long-suffering. He does put up with a lot of nonsense from his creations. <laughs> no, he's put up with a lot of nonsense from me, so I can speak from experience. And when we have a bad idea and we try to run with it, if we push hard enough... I believe God will lovingly dissuade us, but eventually he may give us over to that debasement. We see that in Romans 1, that they constantly, you know, 
rejected God's way, rejected. And then he gave, gave them over to a debased mind. See that in scripture. Have it your way, if that's the way you want to go. But God loves us so much that even after the decision is made, in his mercy, he still tells us what we're in for. And we're going to see that in the next few verses. Verse 10. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your men servants and your maidservants, and your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants and you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Pretty powerful stuff. Now we look at our society and it's kind of hard to relate, but you might have had a few donkeys, a few goats, a few sons, a few daughters, and he's going to take them. I need them for my, for my armies. I need them for my uh, palace. I need them to break up my ground. So he's saying ahead of time, listen, they're going to take from you. You're going to feel the pinch when the king comes. And we see their response afterwards, and it's even more frightening. There's an expression over thousands of years, probably started in the old monarchies, it's good to be the king, right? The king, men of big egos, and if you're an absolute ruler, you will get everything that you want done, and no one will be able to oppose you. You know, we see that in ministry too. There's different types of ministries, and there's the servant leadership ministry that Jesus set forth, and then there's the ministry of sort of like the monarchy ministry. And anything goes in the United States. You can set up a 501c3, a nonprofit, put a cross on the building, and you could be the church of the running around with your hair on fire and, you know, get a tax deduction as long as you remotely, you know, have some type of charitable, and there's all these rules. But there are ministries today where the uh, senior pastor or the leadership, and it's a, uh, you're the proletariat, uh, you know, it's a uh, patricians versus plebeians, the, the us, you know, the, really the Nicolaitans, and Jesus spoke about that. I hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, because they ruled over the people. Jesus said, no, my disciples will do something different. So you can see that. Verse 18, I'll I'll read it again. He says, you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. In essence, God is telling them, I'm giving you fair warning. How foolish man is when he does not heed the voice of God. You know, we we can carry on and fall hard and cry out to him as if he's obligated to help us after he gives us fair warning. Verse 19. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like the nations, 
and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. We're going to take that apart. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man go to his city. So Samuel warns them, and they don't care. I mean, when somebody says to me, <laughs> somebody I, res- I respect, I know that they, they're a praying man or a praying woman, and they say this is, and, and they don't do this all the time, and they say, listen, I firmly, though this is what the Lord spoke to me, this is you know, what the scripture says, it's in line and harmony with the scripture. I very rarely, unless they say something that's wacky and totally anti-scriptural, I say, okay, well, then that's the Lord's will for your life. You know, I mean, even when somebody else says it, I'm, I'm reticent to, to kind of go against that unless what they're saying is completely unscriptural and they're delusional about it, which has happened before. But God told Samuel, Samuel told the people, and they said, no, that's fine. We're going to have a king. Now, how bold is that? So, okay, Samuel had sons that were doing the wrong thing, and... Uh, you know, again, you can't always hold the kid's behavior to the parent. There could have been a disconnect there. But they knew Samuel from a little boy. Samuel led them. He was a judge. He heard from God. Because of Samuel, many times the children of Israel were victorious. And they basically, they were bold. We're going to have a king. That was their response to Samuel. Let's break this down. Number one, we want to be like the other nations. Again, it's dangerous when believers look at the world, look at what God has to offer, and say, I'd rather have that. The love of the Father is not in you if you love the world, period. Jesus said that. Two, that the king may judge us. That's even more scary. <laughs> you know, and what came to mind, I had to look it up. I didn't know it cold. But when David numbered the people, it was in Chronicles, uh, he was punished for that because Satan tempted him to do that, and God specifically said not to do that. And God basically said, you'll get your choice of discipline. It's always great when your parent says, this is, I'm going to, you got three choices. I get to pick one? Great. You'll get a famine, your enemies will rule over you, or the sword of the Lord. And David said, don't let a man rule over me. I'll take the sword of the Lord. I'll tell you what, I, I don't want a man to rule over me either if I can help it. If I have the choice, I'm going to say, Lord, you know me, you know my heart, you know what's good for me, I'll take my medicine. But they wanted a king to judge them. Very dangerous. The king may fight our battles. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Um, rather having man's protection than God's protection. And, you know, I, I had to think about this for a moment. Let me bring the mathematics stuff back into it again. I'm trying to, in my mind, trying to figure out what, what the deal is. But I, I try to, you know, praying about it and thinking about it. And, and I think it goes like this. We live in a tangible world. Men are tangible. Things are tangible. The hardest thing for us to do at times is to have fellowship with someone who's not necessarily tangible with the senses. God. So it's, there's too many variables with God. Because we can't figure him out. We can't outguess him. We can't outsmart him. We can't outwit him. But we could manipulate men and women because men and women want some type of popularity. So with God, there's too many unknowns. And to me, that's why people don't like algebra, right? 
4x plus 3b equals c. Well, there's too many letters. You don't mix letters and numbers. My son is in algebra now, and I loved algebra. I have a lot of fun with it. But people don't like it because there's too many unknowns. No way. I want a man to rule over me. And I would just say this too. Um, you can see even today in the Christian genre that this type of man worship, it's more becoming more about the men and the, the character behind the ministry than the word of God and what's important. And that's frightening. Verse 22, Samuel said, every man go to his, his own city. Listen, I don't know how he said it, but I'm kind of laughing because it almost is like, hey, you guys bother me. Get lost. You know, you guys have been aggravating me all day. You don't want to hear what God has to say. Go to your own city. That's just my spin. I don't know if that's what happened. But this chapter is the precursor to the king, King Saul. And we'll find out that King Saul was tall. King Saul was handsome. King Saul might have been broad. He had big armor. When little David went to fight the Philistines, he couldn't move with that armor. You know, I've seen some movies done. He just couldn't, I can't deal with this armor. You know, get it off me. I can't move. So Saul was a, a man's man. He was a king. He was, when he, when he sat on that horse, probably he just was so tall to look at. And the people of carnal nature would look at that and say, that's the man that I want as a king. But we'll see, he did a lot of damage to the nation of Israel. He, did, he hurt them physically and he hurt them spiritually. And he was so jealous and maddened by David that he wasn't really paying attention to running the kingdom, if the people only knew. And again, great pastors, great ministries, great worship bands. Uh, I see Christianity start to go more and more towards man's abilities and trust in man than trust in God, and that's a problem. This church doesn't need me, I'll tell you that right now. God could take me out today, and uh, Pastor Anthony can take the helm, and we'll, just, we'll do just fine, and I'll be enjoying it from up there. <laughs> but the point is that he doesn't need me. He doesn't need men. We have to get that through our heads. And this is all about, if I could uh, make a title and I didn't, I thought about it too late, uh, do we want a man or do we want God? We need to want God. Now, individually, can we change the climate, the political climate? Can we change trends in Christianity? We can only change ourselves, but that's a good start. And maybe we should look at this tonight and look into our hearts introspectively and say, where am I going in the wrong direction? Really meditate on this on the way home, maybe in prayer, and say, gee, I don't want to be like that. What's God warning me about? What have I seen that he's done or put in my path that I'm going in the wrong direction? And he's saying, no, please don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself like a good father would. Something to look at. Where is God trying to get our attention? Warn us. And we need to make the necessary changes and not go down the same path that's going to bring us sorrow and heartache and be out of the Lord's will like the children of Israel. Let's pray.